Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast, a beautiful, I guess, late Thursday morning in Clemson, two days away from a game that should see Death Valley rocking. I got a feeling. These fans have really showed up all year and deserve a lot of credit for that. And I think noon game and all, uh, they're going to be at their best. Later today at TigerIllustrated.com, we have some video breakdown. Yes, Wake Forest offense has been high-flying. Yes, Clemson's offense still has to score, I think, to win. But we go deep into the recipe of how Brent Venables' defense has been able to totally shut down this Wake Forest offense over the years. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864 Five eight one or online at paramlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parham Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, to our conversation with Patrick Sepp, former Clemson football player, whose son Josh is a future Clemson football player, class of 22. Always love catching up with Pat. Here we go. Enjoy. All right, joined once again by Patrick Sepp, my good friend who's been on the podcast, I think several times before welcome back man man appreciate appreciate you having me uh, appreciate the good job that you're doing with the podcast too as well man i think you do a great job of current events what's going on in the world uh and what's going on in tiger town so i always appreciate sharing some time with you yeah we appreciate the time that you that you give so what are you doing this morning on this uh, i guess a lovely Thursday mid morning in in uh, November. <laughs> just working, man. Just taking a taking a break, talking with you. But other than that, uh, just the same old, same old working and, and raising my boys and 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 coaching and and enjoying watching my son. Uh, last year, high school football. So it's been a it's been a fun year and a half for me in that sense. So getting him out to camps and the, to colleges and, and visits throughout this summer uh, and then now into the season. And uh, he's having a heck of a season uh, and having some fun playing football. So just enjoying life, man. Can't complain. I should know this, but is their season, Greenville's still going? Yes. So the third round of the playoffs is Friday tomorrow. 
uh, home against Irma. Oh my gosh! So, I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no problem, man. Uh, but yeah, it's third round. Um, I don't think Greenville's ever been past the third round. So this is kind of a, a, a big game. Irma's a great team. Uh, but I think we have a, a good team in Greenville High as well. So I think it'll be a, a great game to, to watch if you are a football fan. And then if they win, then it's on to – is that is this the semifinals? No. So semi, no, Yeah. And then next, you know, if win Friday, then we'll play the win out of Greenwood and South Point. And then the state championship game is after that. So that's if you went okay, yeah. So the next week would be to go to to Columbia. Yeah. Is it? In, gosh, I'm 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 super uninformed here. Is it? Is it still in Columbia? <laughs> yeah, it's in Columbia. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> just making sure. Uh, my, my my brain is 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 once it's filled with college football uh, knowledge, it, 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 no more input can go in. So so that explains that explains why. I'm so ignorant but, of this. And I, I think for you, too, this has been a different year, so I can understand that you have been focused on college football. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, what are you, on that note, <clears throat> I mean, the, the the I guess the most, I guess the biggest characteristic of this season for Clemson has been in how unexpected a lot of these struggles have been. It's not like back in the summer that we heard anyone saying, all right, we need to pump the brakes on this, on this expectation that Clemson's going to just get right back to the playoff. It was mainly the big question entering the year was, okay, if they lose to Georgia, can they still, you know, re- rebound? And, and, and it, once they automatically run the table post Georgia, can they get in? Nobody was considering the thought of two more losses and then just gut-wrenching down-to-the-wire games throughout. What do you make of this season, and how much of a shock has it been to you to see, uh, I guess the offense mainly, of course, uh, struggle as much as it has, and to see this team basically the, 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 I guess the, top end of, of the of, of the their success right now could be just getting to 10 wins which was most people just considered automatic over the last five six seven years yeah I and I would say this I would add I mean 10 wins is a great season yeah. but but in the in the but is you know this is clips of football now and the norm is you know playoff football every year and I think you're right um, we all including myself did not see this year happening the way it happened uh, some things I think was in you know Clemson's control um, with the way that they're playing with some of the struggles they're having uh, and some of it and a lot of it I should say with the injuries you cannot you know foresee those things happening you can't control injuries they're part of football and this this team this year is plagued with injuries uh key injuries too uh to where i, I know that's kind of uh made them struggle a little bit as a team and, and especially on the offensive side of the ball 
but I think the biggest surprise for me is just being the struggle of DJ because I was a huge DJ fan. Somebody that was a big quarterback myself. Uh, I love to see big quarterbacks play guys that could play in the pocket. Uh, but so I was, I was sold on him, watching him come into camp years ago uh, when he was in high school and then seeing him come into the games last year, uh, and, and play sparingly throughout the year. And he played great, you know, and, I, and so I think we all, you know, as fans and, and, and somebody that played there myself, uh, thought that this year would just kind of take off from where it, it, it ended last year and be just as successful, uh, if not more successful. Um, and so that's been the biggest shock. But watching a quarterback, watching DJ play, I can tell you he's struggling. I can, and I can tell you that his confidence at that position and making plays has, has gone down tremendously. Um, and the receivers have to help him when he, when he does make a great throw and make a great play. You know, we got to catch the football. So it's kind of a contagious thing. Uh, I've been in uh, around this type of football as a player uh, myself. And a lot of it's just a funk that kind of sits over um, your team and in the locker room that you have to find a way to get rid of. Uh, and you have to find a way to put it to bed. And, and some people can call it momentum. Some people can call it confidence. Some people can call it fun because, you know, when you're losing or you're struggling and everybody's writing negative things about you, the game uh, becomes and seems less fun than, than, than what it is. And so that stresses a team at a locker room, at an offense. If you read every week that offense is struggling, offense is struggling, offense is struggling. Uh, that's another added layer to that stress and the funk that sits over your program. So the guys just kind of have to believe in themselves uh, as a coach. You know, you try to make it fun still, uh, but you still got to get better during the week. So that's kind of that fine line of walking. Uh, hey, this is still just football. It's still a game. It's still a kid's game. It's still something you've been doing your whole life. But we do have room, a lot of improvement we got to get done, as well as let's make it have fun, as well as as an OC and a, and, a, and a play caller and everybody else that's around the program. You know, you try to design things to, to make it fun. Um, and I think that that's what you're seeing Clemson do. I do think the offense has gotten better over the last three weeks. You know, it's, it's a slow climb, but they're climbing. Uh, and I think you'll continue to see those guys get better uh, weekly. I get paid to watch big-time football. You got paid to play big-time football. There's a bit of a difference there. So I'd love to get your – I'd love to sort of think out loud and, and try out some of my theories to bounce them off of you, somebody who's actually been in the arena, been under pressure, and probably has a much better grasp of – some of the dynamics of pressure and spe- speaking specifically of, of DJ, but I know that coming into the year, what seemed like just a, one of the, one of the leading givens was, Oh, he, the lights are not going to be too bright for this kid based on what we saw in his two emergency starts last year against Boston College and Notre Dame, not that he was flawless, 
in those games, but he was executing freely and loosely. Um, one of the my conclusions, and I, again, I want to bounce it off of you, has been that, and maybe probably where a lot of us sort of uh, made a mistake in, in assuming too much, was that there's a difference between temporarily taking over for the legend and permanently taken over for the legend after he is gone in terms of the pressure that is on that quarterback's shoulders. Is that a valid observation to you? Totally. I've I've repeated that to a number of people that kind of asked me my thoughts. And And I always say it's a different animal when it's yours. You know, when you, when there's no expectations, when you come in, and that's why the mind and the middle part of the game of football is so important. That's why you can't ever underestimate confidence and a lack of confidence. And I know we kind of, you know, throw those words around in the game of football, you know, easily throw them out there like it's not a big deal. But it's a huge deal. And I think in this case, uh, with DJ, when you're the backup, when you're thrown in and don't really have the expectations of carrying a team, then you go in and you play free. You don't stress about it. It's not the pressure of it. Because, hey, if I throw an interception, hey, I'm the second string guy. It's no big deal in a sense. I go in and throw it, make a great play, squeeze a ball in there, and, you know, I'm patted on the back times 10, right? Because I'm the backup. I'm not supposed to do that yet. So those things take the pressure off you. But now when you are the guy, all of the pressure is on you and you're compared to everybody. And let's not forget to add two things that I think a lot of people don't talk about. You know, DJ was one of those guys talked about in the Heisman category in offseason. And then you throw on top of, you know, all of the money that's in the game now from a collegiate level with the endorsements. That's another level added of pressure and stress to that position. And then you don't go out and you don't play as clean in your first game. Then now everybody's talking about it. And then the next game, you don't play as good. Then everybody's talking about it. And then now it's not talking about just the offense. It's talking about you as a quarterback in that position. So it's just, it snowballs. And he is a young kid still. Well, a young man, I should say. And so it's a lot of pressure, no doubt. Uh, And that's what comes along with playing power five football. That's what comes along with playing a position of quarterback. So I'm not I'm not giving an excuse for that. I'm just saying I think you make a great observation in saying that that it is a big difference because I've been on both sides of that. I've been a backup and I've been a starter, and it's definitely a different game day pressure when when it's yours and you are the guy. And you're dealing with the pressure of. The assumption that a lot of people, particularly Clemson people, made that oh, there you know, there was Deshaun, you know, generational quarterback. Uh, Trevor came after him. 
And then, oh, uh, DJ's right in that same category, which I, I'm not discounting the, the possibility that DJ could go on to be a really good quarterback. But it is, I think now we're seeing the, the leap that it is to just assume that because the number one player in the country, whatever, five-star quarterback, just because he has that uh, distinction means he is going to be at the same level of numbers 16 and four who were, I mean, those are the vast exception, even to the five-star rule. Uh, you you right. agree with that? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, that's, Again, in my eyes, from a visual standpoint, I'm not a huge five-star, four-star. I don't, I don't follow recruiting that well, just to be honest with you. But what I see in guys and kind of the way I see the game, that's kind of how I evaluate kids um, when they're playing or have an opportunity. And for me, DJ checked all the boxes. But I think one element, too, and I know you're a smart guy and, and know football and watch football. We have a, we're just as talented as, as we were in the last three or four years, right? But the difference is the maturity of the talent we had on the team when Trevor was the starting quarterback and when Deshaun was the starting quarterback. We got a group of young, unproven receivers that I think are talented through the roof, but they're all young guys. You know, we got a young running game, young running backs. And those things with a young quarterback and, you know, a, a, a mismatch of offensive line. So it makes his job even tougher, right? It makes his job tougher than what Trevor had. It makes his job tougher than what Deshaun had when he played. And he's not at the level of where they were at that age. So you, so you have to take those two things into account. Trevor was further along in his second year. Deshaun was further along than Trevor was in his second year and way further along than DJ is in his. So I think those three elements, you, you have to really, if you're truly evaluating those three guys, uh, you have to take into account the level of talent they had and, and also – the experience of the talent they had when they were playing it. And if we're just making the comparison that we talked about of DJ's two starts last year compared to what we've seen this year and trying to figure it out, we'd be stupid to ignore what DJ had around him last year compared to this. I mean, Travis Etienne, maybe the best playmaker in college football, that you're giving it to on little dump offs, you know, and, and things on the outside. Um, you have Amari Rogers, who I've been slapping myself in the face all season for not properly uh, valuing what he brought to this. I mean, we, uh, if you just go back and watch how explosive that kid was, it, he that is a, an, that was an essential element. So you have two explosive playmakers in ETN and, and, and Rodgers last year that you absolutely do not have this year. And then, oh, by the way, an offensive line that you thought last year was the worst that it could get. Au contraire. <laughs> it's, it's worse this year. So, 
there are some serious. We we can't sit here and pin it all on. Oh my gosh, DJ doesn't handle the pressure. What happened right. to him? What's going on between his ears? You cannot have that conversation without putting at least an equal bit of weight on the stuff around him that is beyond his control. Yeah, that, and I think that's – and, again, I, mean, I was a quarterback. So, you know, Coach Stock used to tell me, uh, Rick Stockstill, my quarterback coach, all the time, that, hey, man, stop reading the clippings because yeah. you're going to get too much credit when you win and you're going to get too much blame when you use, when you lose. So you better be even killed with your approach week in and week out to the success you're having or the lack of success you're having. And so the elements, you're right, if we truly evaluate, the elements are hard to say. I'm just telling you, to be able to give it to a guy on first down like Trevor Etienne, without throwing it to him, just from the backfield, handing the ball off, and this guy can take it to the house from anywhere, but he, he never really got hit at the line of scrimmage or a tackle for a loss. Never. So my true evaluation of quarterbacks to be honest with you, it's third down, right? And the reason why I say third down, everything comes to moving the chains. But if you have a quarterback in thirds and mediums, which is third and fives, on up, third and longs, third and eights and nines and tens, the majority of a game, that quarterback is not going to be successful. And so you have to have a running game that goes along with them quarterback. And those guys had it. And and DJ, he don't have the consistency of that yet. And so it's all on his shoulders as far as the success of offense goes. And it's just, you know, it, it's just not it's just not happening for him right now. You 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 alluded to the NIL thing. Um you know, DJ getting endorsements from Dr. Pepper, Bojangles. I'm. I think we've discussed this before. I'm assuming. I'm assuming you're in favor of players being able to monetize their name, names, images, and likenesses. Um, but also, it sounds like you're also cognizant of the baggage that that can bring in terms of uh, pressure, uh, in terms of making things more difficult. Can you maybe elaborate on, on sort of your thoughts on, on that element and sort of what it introduces when a, you, know, you have a big-time player who, who has sort of the weight of the world on his shoulders in addition to then being sort of a, a, a pitch man for a, for a, for a brand or, or, a, or a company? Right. So, yes, I am definitely in favor for the NIL. I think it's, uh, it's, it's only fair. Um, that that these young men and women uh, be able to to tap into that to those things that other people are making money from from them uh, and have an opportunity to to be able to represent themselves and, and make some of that money. I think that the pressure comes to is this thing happened in my opinion all of a sudden and. The way it's kind of outlined, universities really can't get into the advisory role to these young men and women with all of this. So the conversations of understanding how that affects the thinking of an 18, 19-year-old that 
makes a million dollars in endorsements off the field and their parents and what pressure that they add to him, we don't know. I can only assume at that age, but I can I can look at it from a pro level when you start to really get out there and become a household name and make a lot of money off the field. The pressure of you being perfect, being right, being uh, <clears throat> a pro bowler, uh, making sure that you are the dominant player uh, at your position, that weight increases because of those other expectations you start to put on yourself. Um, and I think it's no different, and it's probably even worse, as these, these young men and women that are in college that haven't been in the world a long time, they haven't paid taxes, <laughs> really. They yeah. don't even understand the ramifications of all of that. Yeah, so I think it's a huge added pressure to perform, uh, the pressure that they put on themselves to be the best, uh, their the pressure to live up to whatever they think these companies and the public think about them. All those things aren't really being discussed or handled, and it's all up to them to kind of figure that out and navigate that. So I think um, it's just an added, an, another added layer of the expectation of playing power five football and if we're talking about the position quarterback, the pressure that automatically comes with that because you truly are the face of your university in a lot of ways. You know, more people know DJ. I mean, I'm saying it's country speaking, right? More people know DJ than they know the president of Clemson University. Yeah, that's what they know. So he's the face of the university to somebody out in California and Hawaii and all that. They don't know Jim Clemens, but they know who DJ is. They know who the quarterback of Clemson. They know who the quarterback is of Alabama. Ohio State, you know. So that's a that's just another pressure, I think, that comes along with that. And another, I guess, accelerant of criticism uh, when you don't play well I, I part of this I don't like is like at Oklahoma you saw Spencer Rattler who had a big a lot of endorsements going into the year at the first sign of struggle the student section at Oklahoma is chanting for Caleb Williams to back up uh, here at Clemson we've seen fans call him uh, DJ Big Stinko and just be really quick to sort of turn on the guy that, that they supposedly loved for an entire I guess year and a half is it right that suddenly when when a player is making some money off of an endorsement that fans feel like they they then have more of a right to be to take shots and and to basically treat them as I guess commodities who if they're not producing then to hell with them <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest with you, Larry, I've never seen it any different, yeah. even without the NIL. I think people love you and hate you. I think that's what, you know, being a fan or being passionate about a university you attended or plan of being a part of a program or a donor to a school or program. That, you know, in a lot of ways, that gives you a right to have an opinion and kind of say what you want to say. 
So I don't, I think that comes along with it. And I think, hopefully, I should say by the time a lot of these young men and women become a college athlete, that they probably experience some of that at some level before they before they get here, if they've kind of been a big-time student athlete. Um, and I just think it, that comes along with it. I think the NIL, to me, what it adds to that is the conversation of distractions. Um, I think I hear that argument more than anything from people that, oh, they got all this money, they're getting doing all these endorsements, and now they, you know, they're distracted. They're not thinking about football. They're not preparing properly. Uh, I hear that excuse with that uh, more so than anything. Which again, coaches are managing these kids' times, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think that's the case at all. I think the stress of it the expectations of that probably affects them more than it being a distraction. Of course, there's also the portal, the NIL. Um, more players have more of a voice, I guess. Um, how much? How hard is? How much harder is Dabo Sweeney's job right now than it was five <laughs> years ago? <laughs> oh man, uh, a lot harder. I always, I always said to me, what makes a great coach is being able to, the most important job of a coach, I should say, collegiate football, is to get to know your players as an individual, all of them, but learn how to dial into them every day to get the best out of them every day in every game. I think that's the hardest job as a head coach and I think that is the job the big job of a, of a head coach I think Dabo does that better than anybody out there but with the portal and with the issues of a Clemson the Alabama's and Georgia when you start to recruit and sign multiple five stars year after year and four stars and three stars, and you continue to to sign these these kids. These kids are used to playing. Their mindset of going to play college football is I'm going to play pro football. I can't play pro football or reach my dream if I'm on the bench. And there's only one position, one one you know, it's three linebackers or four linebackers, whatever defense you play, that's going to be on the field at one time. And that's it. You only can start with one quarterback. You maybe switch time with running back. You make it rotate receivers. But a lot of these kids, uh, and the biggest part about the transport portal is, well, I'm not a starter. I'm going somewhere where I can go start. And a kid may be okay sitting down a year. Kid may be okay sitting down two years, but they are not going to sit down three years no more. That's not happening. And so it's a reality. It's here to stay. It isn't going anywhere. And I and I and I support the quarter because I feel like if a head, if a coach can leave in one year and go take a job somewhere else, when you've recruited me and and knew I was going to be there for four or five years. 
and you can just go up and leave and go coach and make a living. And, and you know, right now, and I dang so think the players should be able to have the same right. I do think it'll balance out as as we continue to get down the road with this. I think it's new still. So I think you you see it, but I think you will see it start to calm down as time go on. And I do think you see the effects of it already because I think college football has more parity in it this year than it has in a long time because you can you can instantly become a different team through the transfer portal. What do you think is going to calm it down? I just think coaches and players and like anything that's new, I think is going to be utilized more. But I think as time goes on, you will start to see programs adjust the either the way that they recruit and the type of players they sign. I think it started gobbling up a bunch of just good players. You're starting to strategically recruit differently. Kids that fit, that you know you're going to use, that are going to be successful in your program. And I think the way that coaches think about recruiting overall would change to be more strategic because you're not going to want to continue to invest three years, two years of your program into a kid and, and continue to lose it. So I think that'll be a different way. And I know everybody, every, you know, coach, head coach program probably have different recruiting strategies. Uh, if you watch Clemson, they don't offer a lot of people, probably offer the least amount of scholarships every year. Some people offered, a, you know, a ton. You know, some people might not need a position to recruit that, and they just go sign kids anyway because he's a five-star. So I think some of that will start to adjust. I think people will be a little more strategic on how to do that. Uh, and I think that's what you'll probably see it kind of balance out a little bit. If we get to a pay-for-play model, as in, as in, it's not outside companies and businesses that are paying these kids for their name, image, and likeness. It's, it's actual paychecks coming from the universities themselves. Do you think Dabo sticks around? Yeah, I do. You mean when you say stick around, you mean at Clemson or college football? Uh, college period, football. Or? College football. Period. I do. And the reason I say that is because I think I know Coach pretty well, known him a long time, and I think his passion is this age group of kids. And I think the money of the kids getting paid is not going to change who these kids are. It's not going to change an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid that's a young, you know, going from a boy to a young man that needs development and encouragement and strong leaders around them to help mold them. I think that's what coaching is for him. I think he's definitely competitive and fiery about 
being competitive, but I think he enjoys seeing a freshman come in as immature, unsure, a lot of potential. And by the time they leave, they have reached a lot of their potential and become a man and a great human being. I think that's what coaching is for him. And I think, so I don't think he will ever leave that age group to see. You know what I hate about, uh, I guess, part of the, part of the, this new world we're in, I, I'm with you, like NIL was, you know, it was inevitable um, and legally and, and, and philosophically you, you had to do it based on what you mentioned about coaches making what they're making and, and all the other stuff. But one thing I don't like is a lot of the proponents of NIL and a lot of the, these same people are going to be proponents of pay for play moving forward is the assumption that the education is just a farce that, that it's just uh, all a, a, a charade and that these kids aren't getting real value out of degrees that they earn. Do you see it the same way that we are in this sort of movement to another arrangement, so to speak, we're kind of in effect diminishing the importance or the value on the academic experience and what it can mean for a lot of these kids? I could see that being an impossible issue. I guess the difference in me is that I think it all comes down to the programs themselves. Not, I wouldn't necessarily say the universities, but the program themselves, meaning the athletic department to the head coaches, to the assistant coaches that are that works with these these student athletes, the academic programming centers that supports these students' education aspect of it. I think the things that you build around your program is what continue to drive the importance of what education is and does. For me, it's no doubt why it's important. Um, I'm trying to think back now when I was 18 and 19. I definitely thought it was important for me because, you know, my dad's mom was college graduates, my brother's sisters. And as long as I can remember, I wasn't doing anything else but going to college, regardless if I played football or not played football. That was what was in my life. So, maybe I'm skewed in the fact that <laughs> education to me was, was always important because it's always been around me. Um, but I think if I'm looking at Clemson, and again, I know that program probably more than I know any other program out there, they have made education that important pillar of their athletics. And so you're almost shamed in a sense, or you the outlier if you don't graduate. Yeah. Or you don't take it serious. And again, that's not a university thing, that's a program thing. That's an importance that, that, that they put emphasis on. And so I think, you know, kids don't even think about not graduating. It's just what they do. You know, this is what, what we do. Um, so, I, so again, I think it's like anything else, I think it's like today. 
even if money comes into place, education is going to be driven by the programs and the athletic departments themselves or if it's important or not important. And it's hard to imagine uh, there not being a significant numbers of parents of recruits who, who are not going to value, you know, going to stop valuing. You know, there are always going to be lots of parents who, who really want their kids to get an education, regardless of what model we have. And, uh, and I guess that's what you're saying that a program like Clemson that, that has long before now made that a key sort of pillar in their, uh, not recruiting pitch, but their, their whole sort of development of the, the, not just the player, but the person, the man, that's not going to go away. And neither is the desire on the part of parents to see their kids, uh, get an education. No, it's, it's not. And I, I remember my, me graduated because I specifically was like, I don't want to ever feel like I was used. Like I went and played football and didn't damn graduate. Like that was never, ever going to be a thought process for me. I mean, I came back 11 years later to graduate and and this is not what I was going to do. Um, And I think a lot of kids, a lot of families feel those same sentiments and, you know, are going to drive their kids to do it. So after a game, I guess about a month ago, I was walking through the West End Zone and the recruits and, and families of recruits were standing there in the lobby and I saw you as I walked by. I don't think you saw me, but I was about to say something to you, but then I realized there's like a, an actual rule against reporters talking to <laughs> talking to the recruits and the families of recruits when they're on their visits. And so I just kept walking. Uh, what has this been like for you, man? This has to be kind of a almost an out-of-body experience to be not just going through the recruiting process with your son, uh, but but for it to have culminated with with him being on his way to to your alma mater. Yeah, and and we did not. It, I guess it, it has been very surreal and uh, a, a dream. But it, you know, and I, and I have to be honest and and real about it is that we were going to go to the best place for him. You know, that's what. Me and my son, we talked about three years ago that, that, hey, man, if Clemson ain't the right place for you, we, you know, fine. We're going to make a decision on what's the right situation from a football standpoint, from a feel good of, you know, a place where you feel good that you want to attend and the education standpoint. That was our, you know, three decision making. That's why we went to a lot of universities and the camps this summer so that he can get a feel of different sizes, types of universities, different sizes of programs, uh, places that utilizes his talent, you know, programs that utilize his skills, skill sets and all of that. So, you know, Clemson wasn't our main focus in the beginning because, you know, they had to offer us um, and they were recruiting them. But we didn't know if that was realistic. We evaluated the program from his point of view. Um, but, you know, as, as he got went to camp this summer, 
And I think he really, really impressed the coaches. You know, Josh has played tight end. He's played running back, linebacker, quarterback. And so, you know, one of the, you know, Dabo told us, like, man, I, we watched film on him, and we just didn't know he was a, a true tight end until he got to camp. And so Tony fell in love with him, and, and he loved Tony. And one of the things he left there from camp telling me was like, Dad, he's like, I want to be coached by, by him, by Tony. He was like, I've learned more in two weeks than I've learned since I've been playing the position. And, and Tony impressed him, you know, in, in three hours of camp. And so from that point of view, that's when Clemson really started to jump on our radar uh, as a place that he really wanted to go to and a, and a possibility. Uh, and they started recruiting really hard. Uh, we continued to play, and and uh, and Coach Sweeney called him and, and offered him, and uh, we talked about it, and he was like he wanted to go. So it was, you know, I smiled inside. You know, I was happy. <laughs> I was happy with him, proud of him as well. Uh, and I know those guys over there, and that's a plus for me. And I know what kind of men they are. I know what kind of man Tony is and, and Coach Sweeney. Man, he couldn't be, in my opinion, uh, at, a, at a better place and around better men. So it was a no-brainer from that standpoint for me. And, and you know, hey, I still get to still be in the family uh, and, and be a, a parent, you know, which I'm, I'm looking forward to. How was the offer presented? Can you recreate that for me? Like, Well, he, he you know, when we went, I can't remember which game it was now, but we went to a game and he he pulled us in his office and, you know, this wasn't made public, but, you know, he to, he basically told Josh at that point they were still kind of waiting on Depp's depth, uh, decision. I think it was maybe two weeks prior to that. But, he, you know, he told Josh, he said, you know, man, we want you here. And before that, Tony had already told us the situation. Tony was like, he's their number two guy. Uh, and they was very impressed. They thought he was better than really us, all the tight ends that have come through camp, even the ones that they had offered to that point. So they, Tony told us he was the second guy on their board. Um, and that, you know, they were going to honor what they, the decision that they told them that, we're going to give you to this date to make your decision. And they was going to stick by that, which I appreciate about them. They're very clear and honest with us through all of that. Uh, the coach told them, either way, he wanted Josh to be there. He's like, this is how bad we want you here. Whatever his decision make, we're going to, you know, we, we want you to be a Tiger. You know, but just let's just wait uh, until the decision made and then – you know, so after that, he called Josh, uh, I think on a Thursday, um, and also Josh on the way to, I think they're going to play, might have been Boston College he was going to, Syracuse, no, Syracuse, oh, but yeah. he went up to Syracuse, yeah, and they were getting on the plane, and he, uh, and he told Josh that, that they was going to offer, that they, they wanted to come there, so Josh would be the call, me being Coach Winnie texted me and told me he just offered Josh. Uh, and me and him talked that night, man. He was 
he was excited about it. And he said, yeah, I'm going to make my decision, you know, in a week. And tell Coach, you know, I'm coming to Clemson. So, so had Dill so chosen Clemson, would it have been preferred walk-on or scholarship? What What was the sort no, of – No, it was going to be a, a scholarship. Okay. Yeah. That's what he said. He said regardless of what decision he makes, we still are going to offer you. Gotcha. Uh, he's like, man, he just – he really loved Josh's versatility to play in the backfield, to play traditional tight end position as well as – you know, flex out. Uh, so it was, he was he was excited about that. And you you said that during during camp that that talk with Tony Elliott, he learned more about football then than he than he had in previous years. Elliott's a first year tight ends coach. What was it about that conversation that left Josh so? Uh, well, so it family was, well, he, you know, he coached Josh throughout the camp, of course, and it wasn't more to talk. It was just the instructions and the, the coaching that he received, how to run routes and stance and blocking and angles and all of those technical things that plays the position. He impressed me because I was there listening to a lot of it. And he impressed me a lot about what he knew about the position been, uh, you know, a, a first year, a second year tight end coach. I was just being honest. I mean, he really impressed me listening to him to coach him through it. Uh, and I think it's, you know, him playing receiver uh, probably helps him be a, a great tight end coach. Uh, but you can tell that he is a very detailed coach. And, uh, and my son thrives and and enjoys being coached and enjoys somebody, you know, teaching him and giving him knowledge that he don't know. Right. That's what that's just what kind of football player he is. He enjoys getting better and somebody that can challenge him. So I think that's that's where the connection for the two kind of kind of really hit it off. Football season is grilling season, and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone Griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. 
Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Pat, you are friends with Tony Elliott. Um, Obviously, he's a wonderful person. And until this season, his stock was as high as as an assistant can get. Things have dropped off a cliff this year, and we've already talked about a lot of the, a lot of the reasons. Um, personally, I'm of the opinion that that this offense probably needs a bit of a refresh schematically, just in terms of maybe some new ideas that maybe, you know, learn, learning some things from from perhaps some other staffs. I'm just curious. I, the opinion that I just outlined is 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 very tame compared to what. Uh, is being said about Tony out there on social media. I mean, he's just getting hammered on 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 social media, message boards, and the like. How much do you feel for him? How much? How hard do you think this has been for him? And then, how much criticism do you think is actually maybe warranted, uh, given given the struggles of the, of this season? Yeah, I mean, again, we are all grown and adults and been in this profession and I think Tony well I know Tony's smart enough and understand you know he's going to get that kind of criticism and you're always going to have people that you know everybody knows football right every every fan knows how to fix it and everybody knows who the problem is etc cetera, etc cetera. so he understands that he knows he's going to get a lot of the blame and it's like anything else as a quarterback, if you're not offensive struggling, you go get the blame. As an OC, you go get a lot of the blame. Um, and so I think that comes along with him, longer with it. He understands that, but he's human, like we all are. And when we're criticized, and maybe you know a lot of it's unfairly given to you, it's going to hurt you. It's going to bother you, especially place you love and care about. You know, especially when it's the same people that praises you or have praised you in the past and now those same people who try to tear you tear you apart that's very very hurtful you know um so i know it bothers him uh but i also know he's a man a man of faith and a strong strong man so he's it's not going to affect him like that um and i think he understands that he's going to have to add some elements to this offense what people have to realize is that your, 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 your experience, the age of your players, 
and the time of year um, affects how much change or things that you could do different in the offense, right? Yep. So when you go in in the, in, the, in the preseason and you put your playbook and you do your installs for the year, and then you game plan weekly from that playbook that you have, then depending on if you got a Tom Brady, if you could you could do a 180 in the same week and then be successful in the offense. But a struggling young quarterback, a struggling offensive line, a struggling young receiver, <laughs> you can't do a 180 with your playbook and design all these damn different, you know, formations and motions and, you know, route combinations on a damn dime. Yeah. You can't do it. You can add, you can do some things different, which, he, you know, they have, but you can't totally revamp it. That That's going to have to go into the offseason. So people got to realize that. But again, I don't expect the, the average fan to understand that. Which, you know, it ain't their job to understand that. So, you know, they're going to criticize and they're going to blame the way that they do. But I don't think he, you know, all of a sudden can't damn coach or can't call plays or can't be strategic about what he does. It's a lot of elements that, that control what you can and can't do. And unfortunately, a lot of the changes that I'm sure he he hope he could make he can't do right now so we got to kind of have to live with what we have a little bit and again what what i've been watching is do we get better week by week that's what's important to me as a as somebody you know son that's going to be in the program and somebody that cares about the program and a former player do we get better every week and we have so, you know, I, I can't ask for more than that. Except for last week. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I had to point that <laughs> I felt the same way coming out of Louisville, and then they can't block Connecticut. DJ can't throw a forward pass against Connecticut. Receivers can't catch ball against Connecticut. And I'm like, man, I don't know what to think now. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I say about that, Larry, is – do we have guys open? Yeah. And are we designing things to get guys open? And do we have opportunity? Now, do we execute it? So when I say get better, it ain't always the execution of it. It's are we looking better? Are we getting things and opportunities better in place? And that's that's what I've seen us get better at. You know, we ain't been stagnant, but hell, yeah, you're right. I mean... DJ missed a lot of open throws in that game. A lot. But what I was happy was to see guys separated and open. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, I know that that may be down, you know, that may be the pie in the sky, but I mean that's just kind of how my mind works is okay, you know, we, we are designing some things and get some things and, and, and we're using the tight ends more and we're doing things like that and, and we have. But the execution piece of it is, you know, we missed against Connecticut. Shit, I thought we was playing Alabama for a while. <laughs> and I was like, man. 
Yeah, it was not pretty <laughs> at all. Uh, I was like, is they front that good? Like, man. Um, I, I don't know uh, how much you, you've watched of, of Georgia, Georgia's offense this year, but, you know, I, I've been watching them, and, and th- this thought occurred to me because they're doing it differently on offense than than we thought you could in these days of you know high flying offense where you think everybody has to be a spread offense to win a championship and and you have to be have elite throwers and catches. Man, they're going old school. They, I mean, they have they got three tight ends on the field most of the time. Their offensive line is not great but pretty good, and they're just kind of mashing people um, it, with some good play calling. Uh, but I just the thought occurred to me that this year with with Clemson, if your offensive line is just good or pretty good instead of bad, you got some really good tight ends in not just Davis Allen, but Brenning Stool and Say Genis. You can get by with a more sort of uh, basic attack, maybe even going under center and running the ball, taking some of the pressure off a of DJ and getting some stuff going on the outside and in the play action game with the tight ends. But to me, that, I guess I say all that to say, while there are probably 10 different things that have gone wrong with the offense this year, to me, number one, without question, is the offensive line. Because with a better offensive line, so much could look better as a result of that. Am I, am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah, so you're saying, you know, kind of running the kind – of running. The, the same kind of offense that, that George is running. Somewhat, some, more uh, yeah, somewhat yeah. Where, where where you got you have more physicality on the field as a result of your tight ends, and you don't have to have a great offensive line necessarily uh, to to have a, a physically imposing offense. If you you have a good collection of tight ends, and you can also take some of the pressure off a of DJ where he's not having to uh, manage as much, I guess, and and you could. I'm not saying you could be great on offense, but you could get by and be much better than you are this year if you just have a, an above-average offensive line as opposed to a really bad one, which is what I don't, I don't think there's been any debate about that, that it's been really bad. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, some of the stuff I do is design plays and stuff like that for what we do at Greenville. And, yeah, you, you're right. You can, you know, you can go two types, three types, and, and block block hands with the tight end if that's if they're physical enough to do that and and load the point with the rest of your offensive lineman you know uh, divide the line those types of things um, that you could put in to kind of to kind of help you get more angles running the football help you running the football uh, I don't you know I don't know the level of the tight ends we currently have I do know some of them highly rated we got some good ones um, but maybe that's something they'll do down the road maybe that's something they feel like they can't change right now I don't, I don't know uh, but that could be one way you could do it yeah I wasn't necessarily um, suggesting they change they should have done yeah, that yeah. this season as much as just it sort of magnify further magnifies what the problems on the offensive line by saying what you could have, could do if you just had a, a pretty good offensive line. Of course, you could also argue if they had a pretty good offensive line, they would be a lot better just running, <laughs> running what they're running with the, with the yeah. spread stuff. So, Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of having 
elements of both. Yep. You know, I'm kind of a, I'm an old school guy and a, and a new school. So I feel like goal line, you damn go heavy personnel and you run the football. That's just, or play action out of it. That's just my thoughts. But, I, you know, I don't fault people that do it differently. But that's, that's just kind of my mindset about things. Um, short yards, you do the same thing. So I'm a vertical passing game guy. I hate tunnel screens. <laughs> I hate wide receiver screens. That's just me. I, 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 I don't. I don't like those things. Well, but this this has not been a fun season for you, then. <laughs> <laughs> I just that's just that's just my philosophy, and everybody does it. But um, maybe that's why I, maybe that's why I'm not offensive coordinator because I probably would never throw those. <laughs> Did you know there's a on Dabo's call-in show every Monday night? There's a woman that calls in. Her name is Becky. And she always calls in and says, please stop running those bubble screens. And Dabo, Dab, Dabo calls her Bubble Becky. <laughs> <laughs> he has a good sense of humor about it. <laughs> did you, so are, did you say, you're, are you coaching at Greenville this year? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm helping okay, help out coach quarterbacks over there. How long have you been doing that? Uh, I've been doing about two and a half years now. Yeah. Okay. What's that like? Something to keep my, my fix of football, man. Uh, it's been fun. You know, it's been a, it's been good. We uh, we got a pretty good quarterback there. Um, and you know, I'm kind of uh, designed a lot of our passing game, so it it gives me that that fix of of. Uh, being an OC, being a coach, being around these young men, so it's been a it's been a fun thing for me. What's your schedule like during the week during the season? Whew, work all day and then get over there to practice <laughs> at Greenville High, uh, and we probably get done every day around six thirty or so, uh, and then get get the boys home dinner. Uh, homework and emails that I didn't get to during the day and spend a little time with them and start over the next day. <laughs> how, how old's your younger one? He's four and a half, man. So I started over. I started oh, wow. over, brother. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Both ends of the spectrum, man. <laughs> yeah, a lot of my friends were like, man, you were almost done. I was like, I know. <laughs> How uh, so? Are, are you like, are you are you watching a lot of film, like of opponents, or like how? Do, or what, what's that? What's that like? Yeah, yeah. So we we game plan on Sunday. You know, we kind of, uh, you know, break down. We'll get get film Friday night uh, for the next opponent. Swap film and watch a lot of it Saturday while you're watching games. Uh, kind of go into Sunday meeting, kind of having an understanding of what you feel like you can do and uh, self-scouting stuff. You want to change your combination of routes and things that you're doing, formations that we feel like we can take advantage of where that week at, personnel, and uh, then we'll sit and draw it up and add and come up with a game plan for what we go, what we're going to do for that week. 
What's your uh, scouting report on Irmo's defense? They're good. They're athletic. Um, and I think we played AC Floor last week. They're tad. I think AC Floor's defense overall is better than, than theirs, than Irmo's. But they're good. They got a good linebacker, good safety. Uh, they got a good defensive line, a defensive end. So they're kind of good at all the levels. Uh, but, man, it's hard to stop what we do. I mean, we really have four Division One receivers, really. <laughs> and, and a good running back and a good quarterback and, you know, offensive line. So what Tony don't have, we have. And that's, <laughs> man, we can sit there and draw up. You know, we draw up a lot of crossing routes and vertical routes and, all types of stuff. We we have fun coming up with different things, and the kids are smart enough to execute it. And quarterback to make all the throws. So it's been it's been a fun year of, of putting that together. Why do you think there aren't more? You mentioned crossing routes, uh, mesh type routes that that use sort of screening action, so to speak, to to get guys open. Do you notice there's not? much of that in the Clemson offense or am I missing something? Is there actually that element and I'm just not seeing it as much? They do. Um, they, they do do that. Um, it's just, I've seen a lot of things come open late when DJ has been pushed off his mark, meaning got pressure. So play had, wasn't able to develop or he wasn't able to sit in and, and, and make the throw. Um, and I think you've seen times where we have done that and, and dang all receivers drop the ball. Yeah. Or we don't make, you know, don't make the right throw. So I've, I've kind of watched that because, again, it's just a natural thing when you kind of coach that and, you know, your son plays tight end. You kind of you kind of watch probably the passing game more, more so than you do the run game. Um, and, I, and I have to say that, I mean, they, they have some, 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 some great com- combinations. But – the thing about what you're saying about the crossing routes, that takes time. Yeah. So if you can't block it, and that's why I say about having a, we have a, a good offensive line because we know we're going to have time to throw vertically. We're going to have time to, to, to take a deep drag from the other side of the field, you know, into a cleared out zone area because we're more likely going to have time to, to do that. And I know as OC, if you feel like we play some teams that blitz a lot, that, you know, AC Floor, for instance, was like, y'all are not going to throw the ball down the field. We're going to make y'all methodically move the football. So they brought pressures and stuff all the time. So we had to just, you know, run shallow crossing routes and things like that where we could get the ball out of the sand. So were they playing zone behind the pressures or were they playing man? Uh, they was playing both. Yeah. Mostly man. Yeah. So, but, as, you know, you don't want to throw vertical balls every time you get man. You need a, you know, a, a, a takeoff route because those are high percentage completions. So you kind of want to, you know, you want to take your shots to that, but you got to have some man beaters in there that are, you know, two seconds, two and a half seconds. That's all the time you're going to get. So y'all aren't running any bubble or tunnel screens? 
<laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> we do. And, we, and you know what? It's so funny. That's why I say it. But me, I'm not the OC. I just help with that. But uh, we have a guy, a kid, though, that is like Amari Rogers. He catches uh, the football. He can dang on. He is never going to get tackled by one person. So when we need just a, a positive play or something, we can go to that depending on what kind of, what they're playing. And we can put him in the right spot to get it. And he is going to get you eight, ten yards at least. <laughs> As someone who, you know, you're dabbling in the coaching, but you're also able to, you know, do work uh, during the day and, 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 and spend time with your family. Do you have a, I guess a renewed appreciation for what these college coaches go through. I mean, they're like in a cave for 14 hours a day and their lives are just dominated by that. And even when they have their, you you have a big win, you're only able to celebrate it for about eight hours and then it's on to the next opponent. Do you have a, do you feel for those guys? I mean, I know they're well compensated, you know, but (laughs) But there's also the human element of it, or you know, how much joy are they really getting every day, and in, in, in as they as they hunker down in front of film for, and 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 in meetings for twelve or fourteen hours a day. Man, I tell you what, I mean, definitely, I've had opportunities to coach at a collegiate level, and I never did because of the main reason is, you know, I've raised Josh myself. Being a single dad, you know, I had to choose. And I chose to be there with him. Now, if I had been married, maybe I would have taken a job or something. But not in that situation. There's no way in the heck I was going to take a college job and, and not be there for my son, not attend his games, not attend whatever he has at school. I just felt like that wasn't right. If I had another parent that could do that and substitute that, yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, those guys work in just the recruiting aspect of college. You know, people think about coaching the game, but man, they meet them with recruits before the game. They're meeting with recruits after the game. Now, some of them are on the road on Friday night going to games and then flying in to the hotel Saturday morning or wherever they're playing or late Friday night, you know. And, and so it is a tremendously demanding job with your time and, and, and being away from your family. But I think why you see the lack of turnover and Coach Sweeney's staff is he is a very family-oriented coach. So a lot of those guys' family come to them to the facility, come over there to the facility. He demands that they attend their kids' games and activities. So that's different than some coaches uh, coaches do it. But uh, those guys earn the money that they make. You know, I know a lot of people talk about the money they make. They generate a lot of money. And everybody can't do that job. And I think, as you say, the reward for them is it's competitive 
and again, man, you you still around a game that you probably love your whole life, and you get around to be around these young men. And I think that the growth and development for them is is why they do it. It's more than just the money. Yeah. Indeed. Anything else on your mind? Um. No, man. I don't think so. It's uh, you know, the political world. I guess we can we can talk about all that at some point <laughs> down the road. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll be we'll be back on that point. Um, you know, COVID is still around and, and kind of towards the end, getting back to somewhat a, a normal life um, with all of that and activities. But man, I just. Yeah, I think sometimes we have to look at the world from a place of, man, this is a blessing we have and a gift. So a lot of bad in the world, but it's way more good in the world. It's all about how your perspective is a lot of ways. No doubt. This this entire season, Patrick, I've been, I mean, obviously I haven't savored Clemson, (laughs) you know, uh, struggling like they have, but I have I made a point before that or after last year dealing with not even knowing if the season was going to be played, and then watching it played in front of a lot of empty stadiums, and it was so weird and just unsettling. You know, I, I made a point. I'm like, if if we get a normal freaking season with full stadiums, and I'm just gonna, I'm never gonna waste an opportunity to savor it. And I've and I've I've done that all year, to whether it's Walking to the to, to to Death Valley before a game, or watching other game recordings of other other games, and just you're right, we we lose that perspective, and and, and we're very fortunate to be able to we're lucky uh, that we, that we have this, regardless of the of the results. Man, it's it's um it's right, and I think for me, what COVID has done is just put the perspective of life. You know, I, I've known some folks that have passed away, unfortunately, from this thing, um, and uh, complications from it still. And I'm like, man, I have my health. But one yeah. thing I did, man, I'm just like a lot of stuff that I've been putting off that I wanted to do. Man, I brought, I bought 30 acres of land here in Greenville, and gonna build on it and. Do a little farm. That's stuff I've always wanted to <laughs> nice. do. And I literally just pulled the trigger during COVID and said, you know what, man, I'm, why am I waiting? Like, it ain't going to be no right time. Yeah. You know, so I just went ahead and, and did it. Didn't have a plan of how I'm going to do everything yet, but I, I got the land and now I'm figuring out the rest of it. But uh, just, you know, just enjoying the things that life and not putting things off for 10 years down the road. Who, who knows what's here in 10 years, you know? So just just enjoying the moments better. That's great perspective. Well, man, congrats on, on Josh coming to Clemson. Looking forward to that. Also, man, great. Best of luck. Is this, this tomorrow night, right? Is that is that at home? Yeah. You said? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Night. I will be paying attention. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't to this point, but I certainly will now. Um, hope y'all are able to get past Irmo and and into the into the semifinal. 
Well, I appreciate it, man. We we're gonna need it. Uh, I think it'll be a good crowd tomorrow, and uh, uh, I know it'll be a good game. So hopefully, we come out on the winning end of that and and get to the next round, get another week of football. Hopefully, y'all won't run any of those screens tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, watch it! Watch this tomorrow. We go run. We go run them, and we go dang old have a hundred yards or something on the screen. I've already. That's, that's uh, going to help us win the game. Watch. I, I, I hope you're okay with this. I, I've already tweeted that Patrick Sapp questions offensive coordinator. Is that okay? <laughs> hey, you know we're good friends, so you know. I'm just joking. Is it going to be uh, accessible on on uh, via internet or TV? Um, I know it's always on the radio. I know it's always radio broadcast, but I'm not sure. I don't think it's televised or anything like that. But I know it's like Twitter, and then they have a broadcast that goes on. Gotcha. So it should be. Should be a good one, brother. We got a big one in this neck of the woods too, with Daniel against uh, oh, Clinton. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was saying that. Um, is Clinton good? I don't know nothing Supposedly about Clinton. Supposedly they're really good. Somebody was telling me last night. So, we'll see. Wow. And they play at day, right? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a good one, too. All right, Pat. Hey, man, thanks so much for your time. I know you're busy, but, it's man, it's always a joy to uh, to sit down and have a conversation with you, man. Oh, man, anytime. I always appreciate your perspective and time, too, as well. So, anytime you want to chat it up, brother, let me know. That sounds great. <laughs> great stuff there. I love that almost trademark Patrick Sapp laugh. Really cool stuff. Appreciate him joining us. Also, appreciate the support of our seven very loyal sponsors. Last but most, appreciate y'all for hitting play every week. Appreciate it. Everybody have a great weekend. Cheers. Cheers.